0: Welcome to Gold Coast Insider, where we bring you business insights, stories, opportunities and forecasts for movers and shakers across the Gold Coast. I'm your host, Estella Rodegiro. I'm CEO of Regional Development Australia Gold Coast. It's my pleasure to welcome Nathan Burns um, as my guest speaker today. Nathan is a founder at Blockchain Collective which is a leading Australian company in innovative technology course development. Nathan and his team have developed the first accredited diploma courses in blockchain and AI and machine learning, which has been approved by ASQA, which is the Australian Skills Quality Authority. He's also been involved in many successful blockchain projects in Australia and overseas, and regularly presents at seminars, and is an avid, uh, avid advocate for blockchain technology. Welcome, welcome, Nathan. It's great to speak to you again. It has been a while, and you've been making some incredible inroads into blockchain. And so I'm going to let you go for it. I'm going to say just start at the beginning.
1: Cool. Well, firstly, thanks um, thanks for having me on, Stella, and it's awesome to see you because it's been far too long. We should do this more frequently, have a catch-up. So um so, I guess um, my story started, my entrepreneurial journey started when, even when I was a kid. And um, the first, like we used to do the paper run, my brother and I and whatnot. And then um, getting a bit more entrepreneurial. One day I was riding home from the beach with my surfboard under my arm and I saw a garage sale and there was, um, you know, there was a lawnmower for sale for 20 bucks. And I, I would have been about 10 or 11, I uh, must have been maybe 11 years old or something. And I pulled in and I negotiated, I made sure it worked, and then I ended up pushing that mower about a kilometre from the beach to home, and yeah. next thing you know, me and a friend were walking around the neighbourhood knocking on doors for anyone who had long grass, and then offering to cut their lawn for 10 bucks or, or whatever it was, And um, and we made a little bit of income out of that, and it just opened my eyes to the concept of not being dependent on someone else for a paycheck, but to go out and put some uh, effort in and, and make some money. And so um, I I kind of, um I did have a job somewhere in there. Uh, out of school, I finished school a bit younger than most because I started school at four. Uh, I was lucky enough to go to school in Currumbin and then I moved on to PBC and had a great school thing. I wasn't the best student. I never went to university. Uh, I wasn't the best student in the sense of academics, although like I did... Uh, I wasn't a fan of homework, right? So I did all the hard subjects. I could do really well at at that, but I just, you know, I um, I just didn't see the point in, you know, you go to school apparently to study, and then you go home and you're supposed to keep studying, and it just didn't make sense to me. So never mind, I'll just pass. I'll get through that, and um, and I got into the workforce just after school. 16 years old, I got a job with a friend who, like, I, I like to rock climb. Uh, I've been climbing for about, I don't know, 26 years now, so quite a while. And uh, a friend who was a rock climber, he said, oh, are you are interested in um, in work? And I started off in the factory, and then within a year or so, I ended up being one of their designers for um, construction design. And I was in construction design engineering, um, where we'd design all the structural components to a house. And that that was great. It was a good good job. Uh, it was quite stimulating. It was challenging on the mind. And I got very, very good at it. And then when I hit 20, uh, was it? Yeah, maybe 20, 20 years old, I decided to go on a world trip and uh, so i told him oh sorry i'm gonna have to quit and he didn't want me to quit so he said how about take a laptop with you this is back on dial-up internet and um so i think the fastest connection i got anywhere in the world was 256k um it was basically dial-up right so um i took a laptop with me and i traveled around the world for a year and i i continued to work so i just download the plans work like mad for a couple of days and then have a few days off always had money coming in right Perfect. And it was awesome. It was a great experience. And so, but. That would be quite the, a
0: unique experience too, wasn't it, back then? Because that wasn't really the go-to, was it? Like it is now. Yeah, it, it, was very,
1: it was very uncommon. I, I was one of the few digital nomads of the world at the time. Uh, you know, and sometimes I'd have to sit in an internet cafe for three or four hours just to download a couple of megs of files um, just so I could get the work done. But I did what I had to do and that, I had a great trip and then came back to Australia and I kind of realised at that point I didn't really want to work like a nine-to-five type thing. It just didn't suit me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I reluctantly told him I'm going to have to leave and I, I went to go and carve my own path in the world And what I ended up doing is um, another company in the same field, they were looking for my skill set and I ended up um, contract working initially. And then I went overseas, one of my good friends is Indian, went overseas to India and we set up an operation there. We employed 10 engineers. It was still dial-up internet. Right. And um, what we were doing is we were outsourcing. I was outsourcing the work. I'd trained up 10 engineers. I was working like mad, 20 hours a day for three months straight in India, training everybody and doing the workload while they learned. And then, um, so this was a bit later on. So I think we were getting to, I think it was about 20, must have been 2007, Mm -hmm. 2008. And then the GFC rolled around. And The construction industry just got pulled like a rug from under us, and I didn't realize at the time that was going to happen at all. I didn't see it coming. Uh, Now I'm a lot more um, conscious of the Mm. the macroeconomics of the world and what's happening. Uh, So, but long story short, there is. um, I ended up going from you know ten engineers pumping work out, making quite good income, to then um, being in the hole because I didn't. I didn't think that the GFC was going to be so big and last so long. So I was trying to weather the storm. I was just forking out money hand over fist. And then eventually I shut shop, yeah. right? And at that point I decided I've got to get out of construction. I can't handle that kind of volatility. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I'm a risk taker in a sense and, you know, I put everything on the line when I go for it, I, I just didn't expect that. So I was in a financial hole. I had no job, no income, no anything. Mm-hmm. Um and I had a pile of debt, and the banks were chasing me, and whole bit. So I negotiated well with them just for time. I said, if you're good enough to give me the money while I, um, you know, while I'm making it, well, how about be good enough to give me the time when I don't, and I'll pay you back. Uh, and so they were. It took a bit of work, but they were obliging to that. And then uh, I met my business partner just before. Um, just before the GFC really hit, where we started a marketing company on the side and we started to expand out that. and that ended up being a global business, which we ran for about fifteen years or so. Uh, and him and I have been best friends and business partners since then. Um, and we've been through the thick of it. we so we built that marketing company up that to, you know that was literally a global play that was fantastic for a while and that was providing services and then we um and then during that time we opened some restaurants now i realize i'm not a i'm not a restaurateur, and i don't think i'll ever do that mistake again so kudos to the people who make food and run restaurants because it's it's a hard game and they're amazing they're really amazing so we lost a lot of money in that venture right uh, but at what was the best thing to come out of that is one of our other business partners was actually he wasn't a business partner at the time but he came in for coffees someone didn't show up to work that day I was serving coffee I got chatting with him and we became friends and then there was a a, a period of about maybe 12 months or so where we continually caught up and our intentions are very pure we we didn't want anything out of that relationship but we kept both of us kept trying to provide for the other like how can I help you what could I do to help and so that fostered a really healthy relationship and and one of the takeaways of all this that I think has been key key to us is the relationships it's hard to find really good people and when you get them people that you can trust and re- depend upon uh it's you know it it doesn't matter if you're making money or losing money just the fact that there's trust and there's no blame involved in it means you can move forward. And we've made money together. We've lost money together. We're still best of friends. uh, And it's been, it's worked out good, but we met Raf, um, which is the third business partner. And uh, we started, we started, like he just started a tech company pretty much out of the garage with his brother-in-law at the time. And we, um, we had got, And this is now coming up to about 2017 we got involved in trading some cryptocurrency and at the time that was a bit like you know it was a bit like internet money monopoly money whatever you want to call it no one really knew what was going on and uh, we just had some good fortune with um 2017 where it was just good timing more than anything where we got exposed to it and I'm, i'm the type of guy that when I get interested in something i'm a bit obsessive so i went down the rabbit hole pretty quickly and i realized that under crypto is uh blockchain technology and i i was like man if people understood this this is a game changer this is like the next iteration of what the internet will be mm-hmm. so i thought like this this is quite literally going to level up business and how things are done so i went um I went two feet in. We actually walked away from our marketing company at that stage, and we went, Let's put a project together in blockchain. And uh, we didn't know much about it. We just conceptually had an idea. And at the time, this internet money, it was impossible to spend it, unless you were going to go in the dark web, which is not my it's not my playground. I'm not really interested. Um, so so we went um, we went and talked to Raf about the idea of putting this project together. So we started our first blockchain project. And in that process, uh, we reached out to some people who had been referred who were apparent experts. What we quickly found out is they'd just bought Bitcoin before we did. Uh, they didn't know anything, and we'd quickly outlearned them. So there was a bit of turno- turnover of talent, let's call it, to be nice. And, uh, and we realized that they were full of SH1T, right Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and so it cost us a lot of money and time on that first project it set us back about six months and by then we had built the relationships in the industry we found out who the real key people were Mm -hmm. and we we figured if we're going to have this problem probably every other person in the blockchain industry going forward is going to have the problem with talent yeah and um and so that's when we decided to commission a research piece we and put together the accredited courses and we we didn't know it was going to be what it is but um wow after yeah it, it, it was a bit of a journey and you know so it cost a lot of money took a lot of time it was we put everything on the line for it and we we made a commitment though that we were going to set a benchmark standard so we wanted our course not to just be a course that was a tick and flick but something that when people did it they got value out of it and they could go ahead and and um, and apply their learnings to something that could mean something bigger picture.
0: So you were saying that you didn't, um, in one of your quotes, I might add, is that you didn't really decide to get into education. That wasn't going to be your core business, but you were just trying to solve problems, and that's how how this, this started, this whole accreditation.
1: That's exactly right. It was to solve our own problem, and then we saw if it's our problem, it's going to be everyone else's problem. So we thought, let's create a standard, because at that stage, there was literally no accredited courses anywhere in the world, there was no standards, uh, there, and it was just the Wild West. right? And, and we figured that this industry for sure is going to be massive. And then you know shortly after that, the National Blockchain Roadmap was drafted under Karen Andrews, um, and that was fantastic, because it really enforced a lot of the beliefs that we had of what was coming. And that gave us a bit more confidence in the direction we were heading. Now we, I I think we live a little bit in the future and sometimes this is our handicap as well as our blessing, just because we were early to the party and coming from industry as opposed to education, yeah. we, tend, we tend to make a decision, we action it and we run a million miles an hour. So we had no intention that this was going to take so long to get uh, traction.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, um, Yep. So
0: when did you start? When when did you when did you start going into that whole um, blockchain um, education piece?
1: So we started that in twenty early twenty seventeen. Okay. Yeah. So I think it was about April mm-hmm. uh, of twenty seventeen, and so then that research piece took a few months to put together. So and we, what we found in that is the two elements of blockchain. There was obviously the technical component, which is the coding side. Mm-hmm. And then there was the other component, which is more the application of the of the technology. So, how does this relate to business? How would you apply it? Because it's all good. You could have the best coders in the world, but if they're putting the technology in the place it doesn't belong, then it's useless.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: right so it's about finding where it fits where you get your efficiencies what in like what it needs to interoperate and work with uh what how you're going to govern it uh Mm -hmm. and all sorts of other things that come to play so so we got stuck into that um yeah 2017 and then i think it was september 2019 when our course finally got approved because it took about a year and a bit to put together. Uh, And then there's the the quite lengthy approval process, and it's very stringent. You know, you need a lot Mm -hmm. of industry endorsement and support you need people to evaluate whether your core structure meets the industry needs and because we were from industry that was quite easy for for us because we built based on our needs and then we expanded it out and reached out to others who were having similar um challenges
0: so were you affected by the that technology is, is moving so rapidly as well i mean does that really come into play with um blockchain
1: it totally does on the technical aspects. So that's why we chose to go for applied blockchain. And that's why our courses are all very formative around um, the core principles and the tenets of blockchain, as opposed to what blockchain to use, what techni- uh, what technology stack, what um, tools. Because, see, and this is um, why it, we, we were really fortunate that we made the decision to um, to go and do the research piece first. Because that really articulated the um, dynamics of the industry and and the opportunities, and, and we saw the strategic aspect of it, the like the business planning mapping and the application to be much more linear. It does evolve, mm-hmm. but just like business is business. But let's say if you were to take what's known as traditional business historically, and you were to to start a new business, but using all of what the emerging technologies can bring in advancement, well that's what our course offers. Mm. So it's it's very much a business-based course through the lens of emerging technology as opposed mm. to a technology course itself. Can I
0: can I take you back one step and for the late people yeah. like myself, and this is the hard question, what is blockchain?
1: No, it's a, it's a really good question and probably the most common one. <laughs> uh, and the in its simplest form, it's just a network of trust. It allows two people or more, who yeah. who transact without needing to trust each other because the network itself has trust inherently baked into it. So it's a it's a bit example, of a
0: Nathan? so
1: okay. So well, before I give an example, oh,
0: sorry. So, uh,
1: probably an easy way to think about it is it's like a list of who owns what. Okay. Okay. And then if we decided to, let's say between you and I, a perfect example, let's say between you and I, I had something that you wanted and you had something you're willing to pay for it, then we could make a transaction. We wouldn't need any intermediaries to do so because as long as you have what you say you have, which is verifiable on the network, and I have what I have, Mm -hmm. which is verifiable on the network, if we make a transaction, by default we both end up with the goods or services or funding or whatever it might be that the other has has committed or promised to. So it means, for example, and a great application of this, and it's been been used over and over, is let's say, for example, with purchasing a property. In the current form, you get your real estate involved um, and basically your buyer comes along, they talk to the intermediary, which is the real estate. Now then let's say they commit to a price. Mm -hmm. So then you have a bank who's involved in verifying that you have the money. Then you have land titles, which verifies that they have the property, which means you get a conveyancer to do all the checks. Then you have soil tests, building pests, all these other checks that come along, right? Now, some of those are very manual processes, like inspecting the house. You would still do that regardless blockchain or no blockchain. Uh, But other things like, for example, checking a land title registry and making sure that person's name on there, that that's a task that should be automated. But let's say, for example, a current property settlement is 30, 60 or 90 days. And the reason for that is because all these intermediaries are doing checks and balances, they're verifying stuff. And really all it is, is when you go and buy a house from someone, you don't naturally trust that person is going to sell you exactly what you're, you're expecting to get. You don't know the state of the property, the state Mm -hmm. of the finance. Do they really own it? Do they have the property title? All these other questions, right? Mm -hmm. So in, in the case of blockchain, this could automate where the data is pulled in. It validates each step of the way. Let's say, for example, the building and pest comes back and that data is then verified to have passed. Now, it can happen very automatically and it's not dependent on... All these intermediaries building the trust because mm-hmm. between the two parties, you've got enough trust because the network yeah. validates everything needed, and you can transact. Now that's quite a complex one in the in the makeup, but it's one that adds tremendous value. I know Dubai has their land titles registry on blockchain. A few states in India have, and therefore people can transact without even needing to go through lawyers mm-hmm. um, through. All, all the intermediary parties and they can get all the validation they need, they can do peer-to-peer transactions, right? Mm-hmm. And even to the point that the tax gets paid to the government if if that's a requirement. Obviously, in Dubai, their tax system is a bit different to everywhere else, mm-hmm. but that if there's a tax component, that could immediately get paid to the, uh, the ATO or whoever it is mm-hmm. in that transaction. So it's streamlined mm-hmm. systems, Right.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That would save yeah. a lot of time and a lot of expense. It's yeah, yeah, it can be. And and it,
1: it it most matters uh in uh being used in the right way because blockchain is not for every application. And I wanna really emphasize mm-hmm. that. And part of the part of the blessings of people coming out the other end of our courses is that they start to learn that you don't put everything on blockchain because it becomes expensive and, and cumbersome. You yeah. only put what you need on blockchain to to solve problems, to make oh. efficiencies, to build trust, to have transparency, to have better security, which are all the tenets of blockchain.
0: Wow. So We'll go back now to September 2019 when you when you actually just got everything ready to roll on your accreditation courses. Talk us what happened through that after that process. Well
1: well that was interesting because as as I mentioned before we'd been in business for a while by then and normally in business things happen fast. You make a decision, you back it, you run at it and you get results pretty much instantaneously whether good or bad and you can adjust accordingly. But in our case we um you know we thought within six months we'd be on top of the world we thought everyone would be studying our courses and so forth and we engaged our first RTO we decided um, rather than becoming an RTO that we'd be better off to stay as industry stay as a, a course provider and license our courseware to providers so we got our first RTO on board and unfortunately they had no idea about blockchain at that point they had some trainers in the pipeline which were getting trained and so we actually got the first customers for them. We they had their trainers going through a trainer boot camp, and we handed off the students who were interested at that point. And um, those students got a great experience because what was, I guess, crucial at the beginning stages is we were working with a um, someone who had a lot of experience in the vocational ed uh, space, mm. who had come on board, and he had done a lot of the writing of the course and structuring in the in the ASCRA, framework and so and because he's also a very capable and um, well-respected trainer he he took the first students on board and so he was actually training as well doing the training and assessing as well as um doing writing and stuff for us at the same time so he you know without him we wouldn't have got here either but it was a long journey um uh, so what we thought was going to happen overnight um and we and funny is we found our original business plan
0: mm-hmm.
1: like a one pager we found it about three or three or four years into the piece so i think it was in 2021 we found the original one-pager and we had all these ambitions. And the amazing thing is we hit all of those goals. We just hit them like four four years later, not not Not, six months later. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, and and so we were lucky enough to um, uh, we got an introduction to uh, to TAFE Queensland and they saw the merit in the course. We had some private providers come on uh, come on board and uh, we've had quite a good run. Like, And especially since the maturity, what was great about 2017, there was the, the crypto craze and it was a bit wild. Uh, and then 2018 was what's called the crypto winter where everything fell off a cliff. Crypto was um, somewhat decimated. And that was actually a blessing for us. Uh, and the reason was a blessing is because people understood that blockchain and crypto are not necessarily the same thing. Oh, yeah. Right? Like crypto, yeah, yeah, cryptocurrency yeah. is only one tiny vertical of what blockchain can apply to. Yeah. So like all the tracking and tracing, just another example for you is blockchain is used for all the shipping containers that travel around the world as a track and trace, uh, and they streamline all the payments and all the management of um like of transport, track and trace, all the track and trace stuff is a, a fantastic application for blockchain, like for uh, farm to fork type stuff, mm. right? So, yeah, so anyway, that, that was great for us to separate away from the crypto craze and, and people started to realise the technology. And then over time, it's matured quite a lot. And, um, you know, last year was a phenomenal uh, growth year for us because it really, w- with Even though COVID knocked us around with our international opportunity, we were actually, with one of the providers, we were all geared up for international expansion. The the first intake was supposed to happen a week after they locked the borders down. So that decimated our opportunity there. But we pivoted quickly, focused heavily on the domestic market, and we were able to get our courses VET Student Loan funded. Uh, And then through COVID, we were fortunate enough that TAFE was able to get... Uh, job trainer funding on the diploma, which was allowing people to do the entire diploma for just $144 with no Um, out of pocket. Yeah, and now even more exciting is that uh, TAFE was able to get the diploma on to the fee-free study. Um, So there's actually no cost whatsoever for Queensland residents to study through TAFE Queensland under under fee-free study placements, which is remarkable.
0: Yeah. but it's and, almost like sorry Nathan, it's almost like businesses really need that intellectual knowledge in their companies now too, don't they? They do need someone who's who understands and is capable in it.
1: I believe more and more every day. And mm. and we've seen, you know, with uh generative AI tools like Chat GPT and stuff where it's become mainstream, it's and it's kind of come out of nowhere. And what's really um what's really interesting from our perspective, is we saw this coming, right? Like we, our third diploma is Diploma of a Applied Blockchain Merging Machine Learning and Artificial Intelligence. Mm. And we knew it was coming, right? Like there was no question of a doubt. And again, like the blessing of living in the future um, is, is that we saw it a few years back. We put the course together, we got that approved in uh the end of 2021, I believe. Mm-hmm. Can't remember exactly, but um Anyway, something like that. And now that course has seen significant yeah. uptake. And what we realise is, look, as some jobs are going to disappear with uh, AI and, and people are, what is more important, though, is rather than them disappear, they evolve. Okay. And, and Right? So, like, it, like there's a lot of talk, oh, there's going to be millions of jobs lost around the world to AI and and robotics and so forth. And I agree if people stay how they're currently operating. Mm -hmm. But it's not the most valuable use of anyone's skill sets to be doing something that a robot can do anyway. What would be better is people position themselves, and this is where the upskilling is a real focus of ours, is to position themselves using the current skill sets and knowledge they have, position themselves to be able to enable businesses with these tools, as opposed to run away from them and go, oh my, my job's at, at risk, is to say, fantastic, let's let me bring more value to the business I'm working for or the company that I've started by mm-hmm. enabling this company to leverage all the tools and resources that exist. And Mm. instead of fearing from it and then getting uh, washed out from it, is to take advantage of it, Mm. right? And it's easier to say than it is to do because it takes commitment, it takes time. You know, people have to, I know with our courses, they're very project-focused, so it takes effort that people have to build out a project case and they have to go through it. But fundamentally, the outcome of that is quite significant. They can apply that knowledge to business. A lot of people have come into the course um, uh, with very much like just an idea and walked out at the end where they've gone off and raised capital and and left left their job or whatever to go and build a business, which then employs a whole lot of people because you can't do these things on your own anyway, right? So with one great idea, Foster's maybe five to ten new jobs, which – which is phenomenal. Like, if, if you want to talk about job growth, I think the yeah, best place well, be is that is supporting out. entrepreneurs.
0: Yeah, which we which I was going to move on to was all about that job growth and about attracting the workforce and do we have the workforce we need moving forward? Um, are they there? Are the jobs okay? Let's start at the beginning. Is the jobs uh, are the jobs there now for the workforce? And B, can we get the workforce that we require moving into the future?
1: Well, there's two sides to it, and again, I would say not to consider blockchain wholly in a silo, but to more consider it as very complementary to all the various industry sectors, because it's not like, yes, it is its own industry in a sense, but it impacts all the different industries from an efficiency point of view. So rather than try to say, is there a job in blockchain by itself? Well, how about looking at it? Is that like right now, there's business consultants, there's business, um, there's all sorts of um, like business analysts and so Mm -hmm. forth. Now they don't actually have an industry of business analysts. They have, they attach themselves to different industries and different sectors. And likewise, what, I would suggest people consider it from a blockchain perspective to be uh, a skill set that applies to any industry however you want to take it. And in saying that, like, for example, uh, the vast majority of people who are attracted to our course are already people who have well-established careers, very profe- like a lot of professionals. We get a lot of lawyers and accountants, business, um, business analysts. We get project managers. Um, they're not necessarily tech people. Now, some people come with a tech interest, some people have the coding background and so forth, but it's not the primary um, source of people. And it's not like we're chasing that market segment either. It just happens to be they're the most interested because they see their own roles changing. But importantly, it's not restricted to the C-suite or it's not restricted to the professional, like white-collar professional. This will and does affect everybody in a different way. And... um, and the best, the best thing that I always think is, you know, rather than get washed away by the tidal wave of change, which is technology, which we're seeing now, is to get aboard and start paddling like hell because you can ride the wave for the next, you know, decade or two, which is emerging technologies that it's inevitable that it's changing the way things are being done. It's not something, it's not questionable whether or oh, is it or isn't it happening. It's beyond mm-hmm. that point. It's more are you going to be a victim of the change or are you going to be a product of the change? Right. Mm. Like mm. it's necessary to adapt and evolve. Like mm. if, if we go back thirty years ago, that if someone said that you were going to be a web developer, people would think you had rocks in your head.
0: Yeah, they would
1: think familiar. you'd be doing something with spiders. Mm. Right. Mm. And nowadays web developers is a very common skill set that never existed, you know, mm. 30 years ago. Not in not in the mainstream. So this is kind of the same place where we are. Now, are there jobs? Yes. Is yes. there a shortage? Absolutely. Yes. I know um, a lot of people are finishing our course and getting employed straight away like heaps. Uh, but, again, most people coming already have a role. So it's not like they're um, looking for a new job. They're looking to improve the um, the place that they have and add more value. So, Nathan, um, you've
0: said that Australia, uh, in one of your previous um, state articles, something about Australia being very highly regarded around the world for its standard of education, uh-huh. um, and you found that throughout through this journey that you've
1: been on. Yeah, absolutely, and um, interestingly, especially with vocational ed, there's there's quite a there, there is a global um, benchmarking standard which is like for like qualifications. So uh, we've had interest in Europe. Um, from providers over there. Uh, We did a lot of work which um, COVID killed again, like COVID, oh my goodness, Mm. it owes me, it owes me dearly. (laughs) But um, Mm. let's just say, um, yeah, so we've had interest there. Um, We're currently in talks with some of the Pacific Islands uh, to see if we can get our courses uh, into the Pacific Islands and start training more people out that way. But it's uh, it's a global phenomenon like the technology is not localized to australia it's everywhere mm-hmm. and um and there's a huge huge uptake and interest in the subcontinent like india sri lanka mm-hmm. bangladesh places like that where you know they they really understand technology and mm-hmm. it's a large percentage of their gdp um is coming out of the tech sector and skills in tech whereas in australia is still lagging a little bit so we've got plenty of opportunity to grow the tech sector but you know i've been in um round table meetings and stuff uh, over the last 12 months throughout australia where you got some of the most brilliant minds and, and they're talking about the tens of thousands of people that are lacking like that big companies are struggling to find talented people still and i know there's been the odd company laying people off and whatever and that comes with any growth right like you you grow and then you trim off the fat, and then you grow, and you trim off the fat, and it's just the cycles of growth. Like you can't mm. expect a hundred percent of people to stay,
0: mm. and
1: it's just not manageable. You get you find inefficiencies and people who are not doing what they're supposed to do, and you clear that out, and you keep moving forward, right? Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um. So 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 you didn't start off as a an education um entity. What are you today?
1: So. So well we've got a variety of different companies right mm-hmm. so um so if you look at the overall scope um, blockchain collective sits absolutely in the education space okay uh, but we always pride ourselves from being industry as opposed to education because the education providers we work with have mastered the delivery mm-hmm. and how to teach people how to uh, add value and skills but we 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 maintain that industry uh, connection and relevancy. So we're focused on making sure our course framework meets the need uh, that's in the marketplace, and we keep on top of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we also have, again, we we have some education. We have a tech company offshore in the Philippines with a couple of hundred people, uh, and and part of that growth, like that, that went. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, that was originally Raf starting with his brother-in-law in the oh, garage, yeah. uh, and that evolved from, you know, six people to then uh, it ended up now we're at a couple of hundred. But with that growth and some of the cool tech that has come out of that, we've, you know, we've built some phenomenal technology that tens of thousands of people throughout Australia use every day, but you just don't know that we did it. And we we're happy we're happy to not be the, yeah. the front of that, like let it go, fantastic. Other people can take the limelight, uh, but our team built it, which is it's heartwarming to know that the team can mm. get in there and build mm. something that literally makes an impact to tens of thousands of people every day. Um, but, yeah, so in that we we expanded our team and we, we actually acquired an education company offshore as well because part of our trouble with our tech team was to recruit people who had the skills to be able to get in and work. Yeah. And so we what we've done is we've aligned with some of the local universities and vocational providers uh, in the Philippines, where they provide graduates to us. What we do is we have a training pipeline. Uh, so we have 32 qualified trainers now. Um, and they're they're all educated with master's degrees and so forth in education, and we have structured curriculum, short courses, and training programs. So basically, we take the graduates, we take them on an intern program for three months or more, and then we recruit the top staff out of that, and the others get free uh, skilling. So they they're able to go out in the workforce with three months of uh, experience with new um, new skill sets that they wouldn't acquire if they were just coming out of uni and then that gives them employment opportunities on the other side of it so we've been able to replicate that model for australia and we're working with um one of the um uh i always forget the name of the uh of the government department but we call it the department of acronyms because it's like it's got so many letters in it if you if you put the acronym together but it's uh like the department of training small business employment and yada, yada. yeah Sorry, yeah so don't quote me it's yeah, that yeah, one
0: yeah,
1: yeah. i apologize mm-hmm. to the girls who run that they're <laughs> fabulous um they're yeah, bronwyn and and, and mm-hmm. yeah so anyway um So anyway, yeah, so we're training a few hundred people here in Australia, in Queensland, actually around skill sets, around um, technical skills for on-the-job training to make sure people are job ready so they can take a few hours. And that's been funded by Queensland government, which means it's free and available to anyone in Queensland. So if anyone wants to upskill themselves, they're more than welcome to... um, reach out to me mm. and we can get get them enrolled in that course and it won't cost them anything uh it'll just be a few hours of time mm. and we we the way we've structured those is to have live de- delivery
0: oh, wow. yeah,
1: as well okay. so online resources are all there but yeah. live delivery so you've got an expert who's qualified in that field who works in that every single day mm. and is able to assist on the, the more technical questions and whatnot
0: well, that's really good, and so, everyone who's listening, will make sure that we have your contact under under this in the posting. Um, Nathan, I've known you for a while now, and the one thing I noticed about you is that you're, you're you've actually moved on from here, and you're about another year ahead, aren't you, in your brain of where you're traveling to? So, what what's the future looking like? What what what's the Nathan world in twelve months' time? Well. That's
1: a good question because, like, we're we're pretty busy. Um, we we are in talks with uh, another um, about potentially putting another course together. Um, I can't give too much away because okay. I don't want to spill the secret it. sauce. Yeah, but let's part. just say it's in technology. Um, I think it would have a huge impact going forward. Um, so that's one thing around the blockchain collective side. Mm-hmm. We're still building technology behind the scenes. So we've got uh work in progress. We've got a blockchain project in Europe, uh which is quite interesting. Uh we've got payments happening and uh, and more recently we even started a, a mushroom farm. So
0: I knew there'd be something out of Left Field sitting there somewhere. Hey, but, yeah, well uh, am I wrong in thinking, hang on, just um I'm thinking this through. There's a big emphasis now going to be put on about sustainability, environmental, you know, and you were talking about you know paddock to fork type type situations, but companies now, and particularly if they tend to have to have this whole um, environmental aspect to it and a social and community and environmental aspect. Is this something that um, leads straight into what what blockchain could deliver on for the for companies?
1: It can certainly help with the tracking of it um, and the transparency of it yeah. um, because it's a technology in its own. A technology is like a, a hammer. It's only as good as you use it, right? Like yeah, you, you, you yeah. have a hammer in the shed, it doesn't do anything, right? But if you put it to work, it can it can add value. Yeah. So it's a tool, right? It's, yeah. a, it's a resource that people should consider and certainly should explore more as to yeah. how they can benefit from um so yeah but yeah. yeah it's look i think more and more we'll get to the point where blockchain isn't even mentioned it's just a technology that happens like yeah. and, and we know this could be the case it, for example behind the scenes with the banking even osco payments and things like that they they won't call it blockchain but that's like a distributed ledger between the banks yeah. and that that allowed for instantaneous payments now previously we waited 3 days for our money to go across the street now it happens within a second or so. Yeah. and uh, and that's fundamentally what efficiencies can be gained if it's used in the right way. and they the banks have done a great job of using a uh, a shared ledger job because it makes perfect sense, right? Yeah. Like yeah. you've got digital money. How come it takes three days? Well, it yeah. doesn't have to. now yeah. instant instant payments have, have revolutionized yeah. a lot of um, things and improved cash flow for business. and that that might be a small uh, a small product application with profound impact
0: Mm, mm, it has okay so you're a Gold Coast boy I'm going to ask you to look at the big picture here so what do you see as the opportunities on the Gold Coast and I guess you can take that from your own aspect of whether it's a business aspect or from what you see living eating running a, a massive company from the Gold Coast
1: what do I see for the Gold Coast? As
0: opportunities. The- what are the opportunities here on the Gold Coast moving forward? And I guess what are the challenges would be a good question as well. Do you see any challenges?
1: Yeah. So there's the obvious challenge at the moment with the cost of living and availability mm-hmm. of um of space. Uh, so that that um that's certainly a factor, and I know that's driven people further away. From the coast, or even looked at moving away from the coast altogether, simply because it's it's not there's there's just not enough accommodation and that spills over into then the student um, accommodation, which is a major factor for international students. And I know we're just about to. Um, I was with Study Gold Coast last night, uh, which were members of, and they said we're almost at pre-COVID numbers for international students coming back to the coast. The challenge is, though, is where can they live and afford to live when they're only able to work, you know, twenty-four hours a week maximum, uh, and typically they will take the jobs that a lot of other people won't take, which doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be paid extremely well. Mm. So um, so cost of living is an is absolute challenge, especially for the student side of things. And I, I think the biggest factor is going to affect everybody quite equally is macroeconomically what's happening in the US with bank failures and so forth. Mm. Um, I think we're in for a rough ride coming over the next couple of years. So it's like make, make hay while, while the sun shines is literally – Something that's why I'm working around the clock at the moment. I'm just getting myself prepared because I, I think it's quite imminent. You know, if you print too much money, there's generally a repercussion of inflation. We've seen the costs of living in reality nearly double. Let's say um, even though it, you know inflation figures have not mm. been particularly reflective of that, but we all know the reality. So the 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 macroeconomics is a real concern. The student accommodation is a thing, but yep. in saying that out of all the places to be Gold Coast is probably one of the best places in the world, especially when you look at Australia it's sought after all the pe- people having troubles in Victoria after that um, there's so much um, you know southerners moving north mm. it's it's got the lifestyle it's got the uh, it's got the infrastructure it's got the beaches it's got the the hinterland you know it's a magnificent place to live magnificence great for the kids you know like all these things um just make it world class like literally world class and, and i've had the fortune of over the last 20 years or so to have traveled a lot you know i've been all around the world pretty much and i wouldn't live anywhere else at this point in time uh and i think from a technology standpoint if we can contain people in the gold coast for the lifestyle and for this you know that the family Uh, focus of the area so and and retain talent here then it'll make things easier but i do believe we are also right now that one of the other things we need to really put the focus on is driving the upskilling and the talent to, to align with where we're heading over the next few years, not to kind of get complacent and say we're all cool because we're from the Gold Coast. We are. We're all cool because we're from the Gold Coast, but we also need to be on guard and, and maintain our vigil- vigilance t- so that we continue, continue to upskill and improve ourselves mm-hmm. so we align with the future. Like uh, wh- one of my mentors of the past, he always said, align yourself with people with a common future, not a common past. And I would say from, from a city, if we did the same thing, if we aligned for a common future, what do we want the Gold Coast to be in five and ten years? And we all use that as the guiding light. And we work towards that, then we will be leaps and bounds ahead of any other city in the world just because of unity and alignment, right? And And I think with unity and alignment there also gets rid of a lot of the political riffraff and whatnot and all the discussion that just shouldn't happen you know maybe you know i don't want to get i don't want to get into the weeds of that yeah Yeah, i'm sure you read between the lines but i i think there's there's a lot of room to improve that side of it as well the governance and Mm -hmm. um and so forth but if we just move forward if we, if we look at the Gold Coast as the place to be and we live it every day like we can make this place better, if we continue to work together and we head, head for a common goal, then we're going to be, we're
0: going to be, we're going to live it up. You know, the best, we are the best place in the world and thank you. It's been wonderful listening to your story, but my takeaway is that what you've just said, align with people with a common with a common future, not a common past. That is just brilliant. and. Um, so well done. But you've had such an interesting journey, so it's been wonderful talking to you. Can't wait to catch up. Must have coffee yep. again soon. And thank you so much for coming and doing the podcast. Really appreciate it.
1: Total pleasure. And uh, hopefully we get to catch up soon. I, I think um, a wine is probably in order.
0: Sometime <laughs> soon. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Thanks, Nathan. Thanks for listening today. For a complete list of podcast episodes and transcripts, go to rdagoldcoast.org.au slash podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn or Twitter.